all the files of the whole park. It tells her everything. Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. It's been decades since experts have known that the simple alphanumeric password, or just a simple password, wasn't enough to secure our identities online. Nowadays, stuff like two-factor authentication and SIM jacking have become a real thing. Two-step verification helps keep others from accessing your account. Signifying both an improvement and an existential threat to online identity management. Now, with the digital age fully making our IRL lives and our internet lives inseparable, we're in the midst of an online identity crisis. But there's hope, maybe. On today's show, we're talking to Wendy Nather, an OG of the InfoSec world who knows a thing or two about identity theft and authentication. She's one of the top people working on this problem for the successful startup Duo Security. Wendy's central problem, which is all really everyone's problem, can we actually secure our identities online? And if not, can we manage the fallout of constant breaches? I'm Ben Maku, and this is Cyber. Thanks for being on the show, Wendy. How are you? I'm good, Ben. Thanks. How are you doing? Good, good. So we wanted to talk about the integrity of your online identity. But I wanted you to take me back. When did passwords on the internet for personal accounts really take shape? When did they really take shape? Well, you know, I think somebody decided at some point when there was only one system you could log into, that just remembering the password was going to be okay. And so, you know, using fallible organic matter for primary credential storage was a good idea at the time, but it's not anymore, clearly, because all of us have, you know, dozens or hundreds of accounts now. That's the thing. It's like, how do you keep track of all of your passwords? People use password managers, but even that seems to be a bit of a pain. It is really difficult because not everything works seamlessly together across all the different devices and platforms that you want to use or applications. So why did the password itself become, you know, like the username and the password become the norm? Um, Well, at the time, it was the only thing that wasn't dependent on uh, physical security. So it used to be when you logged into the mainframe, the only way you could do it was by going into the building where it was and getting access to the terminal that was hardwired to it. And the assumption was if you could get in that far, you were supposed to be there. Do you mean back when the internet was first created? Uh, back before the internet was created. So like when the first computer was created, that's, that's how far back this goes, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. In the very early days, in the 1950s, computers were more accessible. You could get your hands on them. You, you would be able to work with them for maybe all of 20 minutes at a time, flipping switches, putting in punch paper tape or something like that. By the 1960s, computers had become very inaccessible and very difficult to use because everyone was so worried about the economics. I learned programming on, uh, on a, a mainframe computer in 1974. The whole basis for the username and password goes back to this physical, (laughs) the actual physical act of going into a building and having to log in with your name and your passport. Yeah, absolutely. And so the the only thing they figured out was, well, let's make sure that Wendy can't log in as Fred. So let's just, you know, give Fred a password and tell them never to, you know, tell it to Wendy or anybody else. So that was the one secret that nobody could share with you. It was the only thing that was only yours. And at that time, again, it, it was considered good enough. Then the internet is introduced. On the internet, cyber- 
cyberspace set free. Hello, virtual reality. Interactive appetite, searching for a website, a window to the world, got to get online. Take a spin, now you're in with the techno set, you're going surfing on the internet. Right. And, and even then, uh, when the Internet or what, what later became the Internet was first being developed, it was still on multi-user systems that everybody logged into, uh, you know, one system and everybody shared. The, the personal computer wasn't a thing yet. So you still needed individual passwords for those, for those users. And when the personal computer did come into play, and so did the Internet, we just by de facto kept the same password security measures in place as we did before. Right. If you had one PC and you had one account someplace else, you thought, well, I'll just use the same password. It'll be easier to remember that way. Now, that that really didn't change for a long time because, I mean, even if I think of, about it from my own standpoint, like two-factor really only was widespread, I would say. And I say widespread very nervously like five years ago. With 95% of breaches involving account takeover, two-factor authentication is the most effective method of prevention. Uh, well, five years ago, I started using two-factor authentication with hard tokens about 24 years ago. Wow. But, I mean, mainstream usage of it has just not been the same. Right, right. So, you know, it, it was an enterprise usage for very sensitive uh, critical systems and it didn't become a consumer thing until recently, you're right. Is there any notable act that happened in terms of internet security where we were forced to, whoa, this username and password system doesn't really work so well? Well, it became, uh, you know, as as the web spread and people, it, consumers started using more and more, uh, you know, different websites you know, by default, again, they started using uh, the same passwords across all of those. And not only were those passwords generally easy to guess, if you knew anything about the user, they became easy to reset. Because again, the, the, the more presence people had online, the more you could find out about them and use that demographic information to, to you know, pretend to be that person and reset the password. At the same time, criminals started stealing passwords wholesale that weren't being stored securely. So they didn't necessarily have to crack them um, or it was very easy to crack them. And then they could go around trying them everywhere. So was this the 90s when this first started happening in terms of, you know, these identity theft of passwords and cracking into the personal computer? Uh, yes, pretty much. Um, you know, have you ever seen war games? Yes, I have. Where, where the character David, you know, found out where they wrote down the password for the school computer. They change the password every couple of weeks, but I know where they write it down. There are lots of different techniques for finding out somebody's password, but that certainly started back then. So this goes back pretty far. It, it sure does. And it's just now reaching, you know, critical mass where it, it's... Um, you know, becoming an everyday occurrence that people's passwords are being stolen in different ways. And, uh, you know, the, there are a lot of different problems that we're running into when we need to let people use those accounts of ours for good reasons, but still need to be able to show, 
that we gave them permission that they didn't just break into our accounts. So if you look back, you know, in the 90s, and obviously you've been around in InfoSec for for a long time, you've been in the game, were there experts like yourself who were sounding the alarm saying, look, like this, this pattern of username and password is really not an effective way to secure people's online identities? Oh, yeah, absolutely. People have been saying it for decades. And why hasn't it changed? Because the risk, um, you know, the impact of breaches hadn't been strong enough to get people to move away from what would otherwise be a big inconvenience. If you made somebody start memorizing different strings of, of passwords, that was too hard for them. And they figured, well, it's a very, very small risk that I'm, I'm going to. So I'm just going to keep doing the, you know, what's easier for me. It, you, for the most part, it worked for, for all this time. But we've finally gotten to the point where anybody can get breached wholesale. And now people are starting to think, well, maybe we better do something about this. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So what are the alternatives? Uh, well, we are working on a lot of different options. So the measures that we've had up until now, using different factors for authentication like tokens or apps on your phone, those things are getting better. Some people still find them to be very clunky, but we're working on additional standards like web authentication, uh, uh, also called WebAuthn, where we hide a lot of that machine-to-machine negotiation from the user so they don't have to do it or type it in themselves. If you think about all the users who are just using Touch ID or Face ID on a mobile phone now, because it's so much easier than poking at a really tiny keyboard, uh, you'll see the direction that we're going in to get rid of passwords. So biometric almost and and facial recognition. Biometrics or, or uh, UB keys, things like, uh, you know, physical tokens that you can plug into your computer and just tap to say, you know, yes, I'm here, please log me in. It's almost like we're going back to the physical options that we've, we've used for time immemorial. <laughs> you're, you're right. We're kind of going back and forth and trying different things and, and saying, you know, well, the, you know, this is a lot easier. Touching it is easier than typing it. So can we just do this instead? I do remember watching Demolition Man in the 90s. Right. And I think it's Wesley Snipes' character steals an eyeball from somebody who has their yes. eyeball recognition. And I remember thinking to myself, there's no way I will live in reality with eyeball recognition. Well, you would think so. But actually, I just saw a trailer with um, the new Fast and Furious movie where one of the characters you know, has an unconscious person and he's slamming his face up against an eyeball recognition thing and it keeps saying access denied, wham, access denied, wham, access denied. <laughs> so uh, you know, that's, that's still part of our pop culture and you know, that's going to be part of our daily lives, I think. Now, would you say that we are right now at a crisis of online identity? I would not say it's a crisis, but we are getting to maybe discomfort is a better thing or 
you know, we're, the, the problems are getting wider and wider spread. So what, one of the examples um, is if you need to let somebody else access your account for some reason, there isn't a really good way to do it. You know, if you have a two-factor authentication app on your phone, but they need to get into your account, do they switch it to their phone or do they use your phone? Do you give away your phone? And then what about the application that you're trying to log into that's trying to detect whether an attacker got a hold of your password? Um, fraud detection. Are you going to run up against their fraud detection even though you have permission to be in there? That's a big problem that we haven't solved today. You say sort of the exchange of, of accounts. That seems almost unheard of to anybody to exchange credentials. Because essentially, I mean, you even say two-factor authentication. It's like... I give my account name, my username and password, and my two auth- two factor to let's say my partner. All of a sudden, I mean they have to change my number from also my number. <laughs> it gets very complicated. It really does, uh, and and I ran into this problem when I had to take care of my parents after they were incapacitated. When my father had a stroke, I had to break into his computer and into his email account so I could reset his banking passwords and continue to pay their bills because there wasn't a good way to say, you know, to go to the bank and say, you know, he's been incapacitated. Can I, can I take care of this? Because he wasn't dead. I wasn't the inheritor of his accounts. I just needed to get in and help out. So uh, we don't have good mechanisms for that today. Yeah, and I, I've also seen, I mean, just something even simpler. I've seen people, There's there's been controversy around people losing their Instagram accounts and how Instagram has a tough time of changing your password or contacting them to actually, to say that your account's been breached and it's no longer yours and proving it's yours. I mean, things like that are happening and and it seems sort of simplistic because you think to yourself, Oh, it's just an Instagram account. But the way that we live our lives right now, I mean, our online lives are very much our in real life lives. Yeah, yeah, very much so. It's it's yourself, it's your identity, it's your reputation. Um, and, you know, we know how, how crazy things can get when something goes viral in the wrong way. And like, look, I don't want to be a Luddite or something. But part of this, the obvious question to ask is, well, should we just sort of quit parts of the internet and go analog? Like, should I just go back to 1981 and, you know, write things down and not not use the internet as much as I can, or at least limit it? Yeah, I, I don't know if that's a viable answer. I know that, that people pulling back from using it quite so much can be, you know, very healthy. But yeah, for all of the business that we have to transact online, uh, I don't know if there's any good way to go back now without really severe disruption. Is there really anything we can do in terms of staying ahead of hackers? It seems like such a game of leapfrog. You know, you go two steps ahead and they leapfrog you and then you leapfrog them and so on and so forth. Yeah, it, it is very difficult. And I know that there are people who are working full time on this to try to figure out ways to create identities that are less hackable and to protect against fraud. Now, identity theft and fraud are two very different things. Uh, they're, they're often you know, confused for one another, but pretending to be me is different from, say, stealing my credit card number and using it to pay for something. Um, you know, that's not actually pretending to be me. That That's just, you know, fraud and theft. So, we have to address these things in different ways. Um, 
we, we have to address the issue of identity and figuring out how to separate that from access so that you will know that if I need to give um, my teenager access to my account, that we can tell the difference between us. They're not pretending to be me. They're getting access to my resources with my permission. So we have to work on separating those and making those easier for consumers to do. When did you first see this as a major problem? Like you thought to yourself, this is not going to work, this username and password format. Was there a moment back, say, in the 80s where you thought this? Uh, No, I didn't think about in the 80s. And in fact, it took me a long time as a security professional to understand the perspective of non-technical people who would come and complain. And I'd say, well, what's your problem? Uh, But, you know, as as things progressed, and I started having to try to manage these things, not just for myself, but for my parents who were incapacitated for my children who are still minors and you know didn't know how to manage their own accounts yet, it multiplied so much that I finally appreciated what the problem was. What would you say are some of the things or the most important thing that people listening to this should take away from you in terms of their online identity, the way that they keep their passwords, what they can do to further secure their own accounts? Well, one of the, the the worst things I think we ever did as technology professionals to everybody else is said, first of all, you have to memorize these passwords. They all have to be different. They have to be really complicated, and you should never, ever write them down. That That was just silly because nobody can hold that much in their head. It is perfectly okay to write something down and secure it the same way that you would, you know, your credit cards. Like if you have to write down a password, put it in your wallet with your, um, you know, or, or keep it at home in a drawer. Because at this point, the danger of somebody breaking into your house and finding that book of passwords is much smaller than the danger of somebody, um, you know, going through and brute forcing, guessing passwords online from a distance. So you are perfectly okay to be writing passwords down and keeping them at home. Um, The the other alternative, uh, of course, is to use a password manager, and that will get you a lot of the way towards securing those passwords. Uh, But also, um, you know, use your influence as a consumer with the the different entities that you're doing business with and say – you know, if, if what they are asking of you is difficult, you should push back and say, I need an easier way to do this. Can't you set up a biometric? Can't you make this work with my password manager? Uh, because consumers do deserve an easier experience when it comes to managing online access. And, I mean, just finding a way to do it where I don't feel so stressed out about lo- when I change phones, for example. And having to figure out how to right, right. get all my accounts, all my it's almost like the biggest the biggest hassle of them all. <laughs> Beyond it, even it just getting hacked. Is. Yeah, yeah. It, it it can almost feel worse than getting hacked because you're just being frustrated every day, uh, you know, for you know, with no nothing to show for it. Exactly. Well Wendy, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. This week's episode was recorded and edited by Dean White. Produced by Lorenzo Franceschi Bicherai and hosted by me, Ben Maku. You'll be hearing from us next week. 
traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.